There's different ways to measure success. I like to measure success by clinical impact, more so than by technical triumph. Although, of course, they're fun if they go together. Um, so, uh, uh, for example, we worked with a company called Novadac, which is a company doing uh, tissue fluorescence, so measuring blood flow perfusion in in uh, in uh, body. And they, their first application was skin transplant. Um, and making sure that the uh, uh, there was enough uh, blood flowing in the, in the nutrition so it's viable. And I'll talk about another reason that's interesting. Um, so it was a big scramble to get them on the market fast enough to meet the demands of their, their distribution partner. And we had to design a lot of things in the hurry and rapidly transfer into manufacturing. We ended up building the first 500 units in our offices for you. Um, and they were able to retain that partnership, get launched. They moved, I think they did up around 500 units in their first year of things the size of fridges. Like these are big complex machines. And, um, and, uh, they did all the genius optic stuff themselves. I don't want, want, don't want to take credit for that, but, um, and it was a very, very smart company. What would make you trust that a device that's about to shoot a laser into your eye will heal you instead of hurt you? Welcome back to How It's Med, the podcast where we chat with the people who are shaping the future of healthcare and health tech. Between founders, funders, visionaries, engineers, and so many more people, on this podcast, our goal is to make sure that you can learn the secrets, skills, and stories of those who are shaping the healthcare system as it is now so that you can understand where the healthcare system is going and perhaps contribute in ways of your own to make sure that we all can live healthier, happier lives. This time around, we rejoin a conversation with Scott Phillips, the founder of Starfish Medical, Canada's leading medical device design service provider. Last time around, we chatted about the beginnings of Scott's story starting in an apartment with a crying baby in the background, but this time around, we rejoined the conversation to learn more about the processes that ensure that his company can bring medical devices safely and effectively to market so that the miracles of modern medicine can be carried out. Let's get started. But in particular, you've mentioned this kind of vaguely, and I just want to consolidate an answer here. Why is all this attention to design, regulatory and financial control necessary from the start of the medical device design process specifically, or is it necessary? Yeah, well, I think uh, once again, as you do medical device entrepreneurship, which is mm -hmm. in some sense, you could think of Starfish started as thinking of itself as an engineering company and gradually more or less morphed into a, a uh, entrepreneurship consulting company, right? It's a, uh, because it's, it doesn't help anybody if you design a product that fails, right? Uh, there's, frame, there's a framework called Lean Startup you might have heard of that yes. uh, it sort of asks, what are the biggest risks to the venture? How can we address those uh, in order, starting from the biggest ones? Um, and the hardest one is always, is anybody going to buy this thing? Mm -hmm. Whatever, you can go ask them if they will, but, uh, but actually that's what people do and what they say they'll do are often different things. Um, so, um, so it's tricky. So, so, uh, we become very interested in designing with the end in mind. Yeah. Right. At the, uh, the end in the case for many, uh, entrepreneurial startups, if they want to sell their company, 
that you start almost with who's going to buy this? Why are they going to buy it? And is, the, is it going to be a big enough uh, exit, enough sale to justify all the work that went into it? Because you're solving a big enough problem in a meaningful way. Makes sense. So, I mean, it seems obvious, although it's amazing how many people don't start with that approach. They, 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 uh, they start with, hey, I invented a cool thing. I'm going to start a company. And, uh, uh, you know, it's important to have a cool thing that you invent. I mean, the ideal thing actually is that you realize there's a giant problem. Start with the problem and then work your way back to the technology. Mm -hmm. Although you can start from either spot. Uh, but, uh, um, uh, it, in any case, in either case, you've got to ask yourself very honestly whether you've got answers to the, to all of these big questions in order to say you have a company. There's another little saying in, in startups, which is fail fast. You, 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 you want to uh, prove that there's a reason why your thing won't work. Then, um, don't just, just, uh, don't just ignore that. Like if it's not going to work, then kill it. There's lots mm -hmm. of ideas. Go find another idea that, uh, your destiny for the rest of your life is not, uh, just spend your, spend your life on a, on a thing that's not going to be successful. It's a, it's a, there's kind of a fallacy whenever you hear an entrepreneur talk and they, and they often know that somebody asks, what lessons did you take from all this? And they often they'll say, the answer is I never, never gave up. So you should never, never give up, which is dumb advice. <laughs> you're really, you're really killing the entrepreneurship vibe here. <laughs> well, I, you know, as an entrepreneur myself, I can make fun of us a little bit, but the, uh, the answer is you should, you should continually confirm that you're going on a good path. Yes. If you're not, then uh, go find something else. You're not giving up on yourself. You're giving up on an idea, which is not the same as you. I, I tell you, I was contacted last month by a company that said, you know, we're, we're finally reached the end of our rope. Looks like we don't really have a market. Uh, uh, not working out. It's a company we've known for a while and, uh, and they've spent over 20 years working on their startup. They spent $30 million. Um, and now they're finally realizing something they probably really could have known 15 years ago. There's not really a market for what they're, what they're working on. Mm -hmm. Uh, they should have spent the last 15 years working on something else. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's, that's, that's pretty hard hitting overall. So I guess if the, if the design process that you and your company help implement is so important to help entrepreneurs, uh, fail early if they don't pass a design gate so that they can save time and save money, then why don't all entrepreneurs in the health tech market engage with engineering design companies? Why, why don't they all just go through the process? They could arguably figure those insights out themselves, yeah. but whether they do or not, that's the, uh, nobody wants to think their baby's ugly, right? They, 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 it's easy to fall into the thing that the idea is yours and it's you and you're conflate yourself with this venture and it's your sense of self-worth and pride and whatever. So you lose the ability to be objective about this, this thing you think of, you know, you're just, you're just overcoming the naysayers, but some of the naysayers you should listen to. Some of them you shouldn't, some of you should, it's, 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 it's complex, right? Yeah, that's fair enough. I know that my mom tells me that I was really ugly when I was a baby. So you know, sometimes you think your baby's ugly. <laughs> and look how great you turned out. So.
I know you, you flatter me, but regardless to, to kind of turn the conversation back to the, um, medical device and design space, one thing that I've seen and that motivated the start of this podcast overall was really the increasing interest that I see from physicians who want to enter the medical device design or medical device company space. Um, you recently interviewed doctors McCann at Eklog during one of your events under the umbrella of the medical device playbook. But can you summarize what the optimum role and foreseeable pitfalls are for these fledgling clinician med tech executives? Yeah, absolutely. So those guys are, they were, uh, people can watch that. It's online, starfishmedical.com slash webinars. I just want to watch, watch that one and others, other talks. Love the plug. We picked those guys as, uh, as presenters. They're both super accomplished and they're both yes. clinicians. And so Dr. Lindsay McCann is, a, is a, in Vancouver. Uh, and, uh, it was one of the developers of the drug eluding stand. So when they, which became a giant multi-billion dollar industry. Um, and so he was involved at the beginning of a company called Angiotech, which, uh, they commercialized their device, uh, uh which was coded called, uh, Aquatex, kind of number now. Yeah. And, um, and it was the very best uh, device to prevent, uh, uh, restenosis. Uh, yeah. Restenosis of, uh, stents. And, uh, and so super interesting. He was involved early on clinical trials and so on. Um, but he didn't get drawn into the operation of the company because he, uh, he grabbed some shares or was, you know, had some advisory uh, role on the company, but he was interested in maintaining his clinical practice. And, uh, and so, and to this day, he's still a very busy clinician involved in an advising a number of uh, startup companies, investing in them to help them to become successful. That's, that's a nice role for a clinician to sort of keep your, keep your finger in innovation, pay attention, make yourself uh, available to them, help them understand. It's one of the problems that most, most tech, uh, med tech startups are founded by engineers. So, uh, and they don't have sort of very direct, uh, experience of the clinical environment usually. So it's, it's, it's helpful to have a clinician involved. Uh, so, uh, Dr. Clog was a, a, a uh, completely different, uh, he was a quite, quite a well-regarded, uh, cardiothoracic surgeon, I think in Boston, New York. Um, and, uh, and during, uh, some of that, he, he sort of conceived a product that was to, to, uh, to extract, uh, clots of the heart basically and um because there was a lot of people dying during blood removal surgeries which are open heart procedures but, so it was a catheter approach to a, a open heart procedure uh that's i'm trying to recall the name of that product now uh anyway he told the story during the during the interview and how he basically during the process of that decided to basically stop being a clinician and shift all of its focus over to running running startup and it became very successful that they sold it for, I can't recall, $100 million or something. Um, and then, uh, based on that, he's now running another company called PavMed that's commercializing a variety of, of, uh, 
of products. It's public on the NASDAQ exchange, that's, you know, which is a pretty advanced form of business. So he's, he's sort of jump track, had a whole uh, clinical career, and now he's had, got an entrepreneurial medtech career as a CEO. And you can do anything in between. Um, uh, often um, clinicians have to be careful of a couple of things. One is that, um, you, you know, I think in clinical practice, it's important to project competence, calmness, like you know what you're doing, even if you're not totally sure. It's kind of the, the, the bedside manner kind of a thing, uh, which can actually stand, it can, can really do you a disservice when you're dealing with, with the technical uncertainties. Because mm-hmm. uh, you project that, that, that aura of confidence and knowing what you're talking about in areas where you really don't, then can make very bad. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's a, that's, that's a psychological kind of uh, framework you need to adopt. Mm-hmm. recognize that uncertainty, fundamental uncertainty of the technical problems you've got. Mm-hmm. I guess with regard to the two different paths that those two clinicians uh, slash previous clinicians took, what do you think are the pitfalls or steps to avoid pitfalls that clinicians can keep in mind now if they choose to go down either of those paths, either supporting startups or getting into a med tech career themselves? Mm-hmm. Um, I certainly would encourage clinicians to get involved in, in med tech. Um, and to, cause it's, it, it's, it's research, but it's your sort of practical research, right? Like it's, you can, you can do it while you're doing your clinical practice, which trying out different kinds of devices you might be doing cadaver studies with some surgical device or um it's it's fun interesting um so in terms of pitfalls um i think one of them is that clinicians often are extremely busy as clinicians and i think also clinicians get that way by you know very high performing kind of people and tend to take on a little a lot of things and and they can overcommit so if you take on a commitment and they don't follow through and then all your partners are that you know you're you're dropping the ball with your partners, which is easy to do because it's a new area, you're not sure what to do, maybe it doesn't always feel as productive as doing another surgery. Um then um it, I think that's that's just something that comes with the personality profile of who these people are, right? Mm-hmm. Um I think also have to be willing to recognize that product, you know, there's a bit of a learning curve to it and it's not always going to feel productive. Yeah, that's fair enough. It's an entirely different area of knowledge. And as you said, that projection of calmness, competence, uh, can, can impose some barriers, uh, to learning in an entirely new field where there are so many complexities, uh, that need to be handled effectively, uh, in order to think for things to go right. But speaking of complexity and handling things well, what were the most memorable successes and the most memorable <laughs> failure of a project that Starfish has undertaken that, that you can share? Yeah. <laughs> ah, so there's different ways to measure success. Okay. I like to measure success by clinical impact more so than by technical triumph. Okay. Although, of course, they're fun if they go together. Um, so, uh, 
Uh, for example, we worked with a company called Novadac, which is a company doing uh, tissue fluorescence, so measuring blood flow perfusion in in uh, in uh, the body. And the first application was skin transplant, um, and making sure that the uh, uh, there was enough uh, blood flowing in the in the tissue so it's viable. And I'll talk about another reason that's interesting in a sec. Um, so it was a big scramble to get them on the market fast enough to meet the demands of their, their distribution partner. And we had to design a lot of things in the big hurry and rapidly transferring to manufacturing. We ended up building the first 500 units in our offices. Oh, yeah. Um, and they were able to retain that partnership, get launched. They moved, I think they did up around 500 units in their first year of things the size of fridges. Like these are big complex machines. Jeez. And, um, and, uh, they did all the genius optic stuff themselves. I don't want, don't want to take credit for that, but, um, and it was a very, very smart company. And, uh, they subsequently were able to move into endoscopic pick applications. And ultimately they were able to get sold for a billion dollars. So it was, it was, which as a startup, that became the, the most successful med tech start, startup in Canadian history at that time. And they were sold to Stryker, which still has a, a, a major R&D and, uh, I guess it's primarily R&D and, uh, yeah, some manufacturing as well in Burnaby to this day. So, uh, and so that's nice, nice too. We were selling to a Canadian company. It's nice that they were able to stay Canadian. Well, they're part of a multinational, but they still have a major local presence. Mm-hmm. Um, I consider that to be a good solid success, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, get them to market, help them to, uh, get the right thing on the market and retain their partnerships and then ultimately build themselves to a very successful outcome. I should add that one of the reasons they became very successful uh, was because of regulatory changes that uh, actually reimbursement changes. So what happened in the U.S. market, which was the primary market, um, that the the, uh, Medicare stopped reimbursing for any failed hospital procedures. Mm-hmm. So if you had to do it again, you got more money. It was like your pocket. And yeah, that's right. So actually, it's kind of interesting as an illustration of the importance of the financial model to the success or to the business design. For sure. Although it's all, you know, patient outcomes and health and so on. Those are all interesting when you actually look at how people behave. They care a lot more if there's money at stake. Mm-hmm. And, uh, if they had to redo a skin flap, they would say, oh, too bad, we have to do a skin flap again. Oh, well, we'll get paid again. But when they stopped getting paid again, they started caring a lot more about, uh, about making sure it went well the first time, which created the demand for a machine that could help them know that that would happen. Mm-hmm. So uh, kind of, we could not have been successful prior to that, that, uh, that change in the reimbursement environment. So in terms of uh, a failure, there's been a Friday. There was one I recall where it was to do with uh, uh, a radiation therapy calibration system we were working on. And uh, it, it used a series of films in a special plastic block. It was all very complex the way it was designed. And it was very special exotic polymer that acted like gamma. It would act like the body in the presence of gamma irradiation. So they could use it to calibrate radiation there. And, um, and when it went out on the market, 
Uh, we, we finally got it ready and they, they got a commercial CEO and he went out to the market, talked to the potential distributors and buyers and came back and said, okay, we've made a huge mistake. This product, there's, there's the market in the time that we were developing this, the market has moved to, to a digital approach. The days of film are gone and somehow we missed that. In not we at Starfish, I don't, wouldn't want to take that, but that, um, the, um, the sort of that would be called product management, sort of just uh, figuring out what the, what the market need is and how it will fit in the market. Mm-hmm. They got it wrong. In fact, they got it so wrong, they decided not to launch it at all. So that, uh, but I always Woof. feel somewhat responsible when a company goes down a road that we were in the middle of and we yeah. didn't advise them, right? So let's say uh, I feel uh, maybe others tell me not to take so much ownership, but uh, that I, I feel like it's partly on us to get them to ask the right question. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it seems like you've had a plethora of experiences through your work uh, with Starfish. And if I dig into a lot of the material that's available online, you share a lot of your knowledge uh, and goodwill as the leader of your company uh, and as a leader in the med tech space overall. Certainly, uh, part of that may be marketing strategy, but you also share some really important knowledge uh, to impart on those who are just beginning to enter the space and don't understand the massive complexities uh, of this huge industry overall. While your actions have undoubtedly done a lot of good, on a previous podcast, you hinted that you, uh, that at some points, goodwill that essentially you spout uh, and that you tried to give can sometimes backfire. Uh, can you share any stories detailing your experience with this in the health tech space? Um, sure. So the, um, I mean, so we, we do try to do a, uh, giving first kind of approach, like content and stuff. So on our website and if somebody reads it, understands it, uses it for their own benefit, never contact us. That's great. Mm-hmm. Like it just, we just want to help companies, um, take a bigger view of what they can do it's to get people, get entrepreneurs inspired, I guess. It's, it's, it's a grinding thing to be an entrepreneur and, it and uh, it's kind of, you need some encouragement. Uh, so it's nice to support that. Um, in terms of, you know, the, the, um, goodwill, I think that it's the kind of question about transparency. Sometimes you share, Hey, here's the issue that we see. We think you should be concerned about that. Not, it's not always received. Uh, different people have different approaches to how maybe, maybe they see that as a, uh, as an insult to their capability or something, right? Mm-hmm. Say, uh, maybe that's a sign we shouldn't be working with them if, if we can't have open dialogues. Um, uh, so that's happened before. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that's yeah, probably the most common, uh, situation where we try to be open with, with, uh, the risks and the challenges as we see them, sometimes that can get interpreted as we're just being, we're just selfishly trying to, uh, 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 protect ourselves. Yeah. Let's say, let's say, so you, you've kind of, kind of got to earn your trust in this business, just like any others, but there's this, it's so complex that it takes a little while to earn that trust. Yeah. When you say something, it's not from a point of view of covering your ass. It's actually, from the point of view of trying to be helpful and useful so that we together can do something complex. So, mm-hmm. uh, uh, I can tell you that 
there's been hundreds of different client relationships and they've gone all different directions. Yeah. Uh, and uh, when when things are not going well, which can happen, then nobody's happy with anybody. That's, yeah. It's just how it is. Exactly. Yeah. And that can be very difficult to handle overall. But yeah. to, to end on a slightly happier note, or I guess not, maybe not happy, but maybe a little more of a forward thinking note. What's the next big thing that you're doing or that you see will make a big impact on the world of health tech overall? Yeah, that's a great question. So, so, uh, we've added, so we're known as electromechanical design specialists and we do all sorts of surgical imaging, uh, uh, implant kind of technologies. We've added a lot of biotech. That's a big up and coming area, diagnostic platforms, uh, advanced cellular therapies so all these therapies where you essentially customize uh, customize cells back in the body um and uh, we think that's going to be huge and uh that's already huge that's mm-hmm. much bigger than med the medical uh, technology itself and uh so i think that's an area we're very excited to explore you know so we're adding i never imagined i'd have biologists working for us but here we are Got mm-hmm. the clean rooms. We've got uh, got uh, a whole biotech department. So mm-hmm. That's probably the. In addition to, we're going to continue doubling down on you know lasers and ultrasound and all the stuff we've been known for already. I think there's a really interesting uh, combination. Mm-hmm. Well, it seems like the sky's the limit for what you can achieve and structure so that things go right uh, with Starfish. But regardless, thanks for making time to come on. I, I understand that you're really busy and I appreciate the fact that you gave such frank and direct answers to my questions. It's, it's certainly admirable and quite helpful to understand the intricacies of what got you to where you are and what troubles people may face when they try to get into this really complex space. There you go. It's been a pleasure talking to you. I hope that your listeners will really enjoy the insights here. Thank you so much. Till next time. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of How It's Med. If you liked what you heard, the best way to support us is to go to your podcast platform, be it Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever you like, and to give us a rating and a recommendation or a comment so that others can best find us. If you can't do that, then we'd really appreciate it if you could share your favorite episode with those that you care about and who you think would find our work interesting. Till next time.